And uh, we are going to come to God's Word now. And we've been, as mentioned earlier, journeying through a series in James, but that's um, finished now and we're moving into our summer series uh, in the Psalms. So do turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to uh, Psalm 121. And we're going to read that together now. So Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Well, I don't know about you, but what comes to your mind when I say the words road trip? Maybe the word road trip fills you with absolute dread. Backseat drivers, traffic jams, screaming kids needing the toilet as you are just passing the service station. Maybe it fills you with joy, the thought of windows down, sunnies on, you've got the road trip mix playing on the car stereo, and you're just loving life. But no matter what the experience of the journey, it's the destination that keeps you going and gets you excited, isn't it? And this is especially so if you get to think about the destination on the way there, whether that's imagining what the place will be like, excited about what you're going to do when you get there, or checking the weather in your destination, even singing songs about the place you're going. It turns your attention and fixes your eyes on something else. And this is similar to the collection of songs that we'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks. The Psalms of Ascent. These songs that would have been sung by Jews heading up on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for different festivals throughout the year. On their own road trip, these Jews would have been singing these songs. They would have been reminding themselves of who God is, his nature and his character. And there's one thing that we can be looking out for as we journey through these songs in the next weeks, and that is the language of the blessing that we find in Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 and 26. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The words bless, keep, be gracious to, and peace occur often in these songs. We see that these Jews are people who know that they have a great high priest who is able to bring them into the presence of God. So do look out for these words as we journey through. But tonight, one of them is going to stand out a mile. But as we open up these psalms, we need to look deep into what we are reading. This is, this is a song. This is poetry. As a psalm, it's not just meant to engage our heads intellectually, but our hearts emotionally. And we need to tread the line of doing both. 
to understand the meaning and the depth of what this psalm is saying, but also to let let it move us emotionally. This is a song. And as we've seen already, song and and music is, is really powerful, isn't it? I don't think any of us would have believed so much that football was coming home if it wasn't for that song. I'm sure many of us sang it or or said it or hummed it or boiling the kettle. Do you see that songs are meant to stick in our stick and to move our heads and our hearts? They help us believe what we are singing tenfold over just repeating it monotone to ourselves. If we grasp these psalms, if we remember them and, and pray them, wouldn't we be changed from the inside out? So as we delve into the depths of this psalm this evening, let us have open hearts to be ready for what God is going to say to us through his words. Let us be ready to be moved by the words that are meant to engage our souls. But earlier this year, I was keeping on the automotive theme. I was driving on the way back from seeing some friends. I was just winding my way through the town in which they lived, heading towards the motorway when Only after driving for a few minutes, I misjudge a turn and and hit a curb with the wheel of my car. Immediately, I feel the tyre go flat, and I rumble to the next quieter road to turn off. Pull up and assess the damage. The tyre is well and truly flat. There was no chance of a quick pump-up to get me home. There was a problem with the breakdown recovery, so my first port of call was to switch out the tyre for the spare. So I jack up the car and begin to undo the nuts. Coming to the locking wheel nut, I discovered that the inside of the key had been damaged and it didn't quite fit as it used to. So after a long time of trying to get the wheel off, I'd only made the problem worse. Even the man whose house I'd parked in front of came out to help with extra tools, but there was no joy. After about an hour, all the options had been exhausted. As a result of my own stubbornness and pride, I'd wanted more than anything to fix the problem myself rather than call my friends to come and pick me up. I was confident I didn't need anyone to help me. Well, that was clearly incorrect. Eventually, I resorted to calling for help and the car was fixed the next day and it was all fine. It's a silly story, but it highlights a flaw in our human nature. And this evening, we're going to see in this psalm, Psalm 121, we're going to see an antidote to an attitude. An attitude that says, I don't need anyone's help, not even God's. We'll see a beautiful way out of this mindset of, I can and only I want to help myself. The psalm cuts to the heart of hearts. And I, I pray this evening that God would speak from his words into each of our lives as we read it together. So let's pray just now as we uh, come to explore this passage more depth. Heavenly Father, we need your help this evening to understand your words, to let it change us and mold us and shape us. So Heavenly Father, we come to you for help this evening. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in each of our hearts, that your words would cut deep, show us our pride, show us our stubbornness, show us our need for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our psalm this evening comes in four couplets of two, so do keep your Bibles open at this passage, and we're going to delve into it together. 
So four couplets of two in this psalm, and this psalm, as we read it through it, it progresses upwards in intensity and in depth, like a staircase going up with each step building on the previous one. The psalm starts with the author speaking. We see here, he's speaking first person in verse one. He says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? We can imagine he's on the road to Jerusalem, maybe, looking up at the mountains, the hills all around, uh, maybe the mountain even that Jerusalem sits on. However, if we keep reading, we see that he doesn't require an answer to his question. Because he provides an answer in the next verse, doesn't he? Look with me, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. His help is coming from the Lord's. And this help that is spoken of here is not help like we might think of it, like a bit of assistance or a passive bit of advice. This is help is in the saving and delivering power of Almighty God to accomplish what is right and fair, providing justice for his people. And the author of this song, he confesses his need for God's help and that it only comes, can only come from the Lord's. Why can he say that his help comes from there? Well, because the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. He has power over all creation. Already the psalm begins to take our pride and our selfishness and puts up against the character of God. And as we continue through the psalm, we'll see that it just doesn't compare. As we move through our passage, we're going to move fairly quickly this evening through our passage. The perspective changes, doesn't it? And we hear another voice come in, verse 3, maybe from the outside, maybe a friend, maybe a crowd of people. A reminder of all that this person needs to know. He says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here we have again, within inside the couplet, we have the intensifying and reinforcement of the same point, don't we? God watches over you because he doesn't sleep. And then again, God watches over all of his people. He will neither slumber nor sleep. Can you imagine being a non-Jew, hearing these Jews singing these great songs of a God who is always watching and guarding and protecting? They might be stuck not being able to go to their pagan God because he's asleep. They dare not wake their God to pray to him. Just like the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, Elijah mocks them, saying that Baal might be asleep. This was a real thing, and and worshippers of other gods believed that their gods slept and woke just like they did. How amazing must it have been for them to learn that the Lord, the one true God, never sleeps. He's always protecting his people. There is continual watch and care over his people in demonstrating that not a foot will slip from their path. His gaze is not distracted from his people. And again, this image is emphasized as we read the next couplet. Look with me, verses five to six. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Here again, we get a host of metaphorical images to help engage our hearts in what is being said here. We get a promise that the Lord is our shade at our right hands. 
It was traditional for soldiers to carry their shield in their left hand and their sword in their right. So you'd have wanted your friend to be as close to your right side as possible with their shield as it was your most vulnerable place. But the image here is not of just another soldier on the right side, but of the all-powerful God of the universe provide shade and protection for his people. In our step up the staircase, the Lord is not just watching and protecting us. He's there at our right sides. And in verse 6, he is there all the time. From the heat of the sun, from the threat of night, God never leaves the side of those that he loves. He's watching and protecting and guarding his people. In Hebrew, the word for this is shamar, a word that we can't translate that well into English, but it appears six times here in our, in our psalm. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, twice in verse 7, and also in verse 8. The psalm is saturated with the promises that the Lord is a watching, protecting, keeping, guardian God. As the song reaches its crescendo, we read the last two verses of our psalm this evening. And the psalm closes and climaxes with verses 7 and 8, the last step on our staircase. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The peak of our psalm comes here, where the promises are not just for protection against slipping feet and the hot sun, but verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. The promise here is not just that the Lord will be by your side, but watching over all of your coming and your going, not just now, but forevermore. This isn't just a promise for today or even for this life, but forevermore is eternity. Do we see how the psalm has progressed up the staircase and at the end of it, we're left with the pinnacle of the promises. The greatest extent of the character of God is here in his promise to keep us from all harm and to do that now and forevermore. This promise is beautiful, but it can be hard to hear, can't it? Because it doesn't reflect our circumstances. It might be this evening that you feel your feet are slipping, that you are experiencing harm and danger. And in light of these great promises, our passage points us back to the beginning of our psalm. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Does my help come from me? Because that's naturally where I want to put my trust. Naturally, in my own skills and my own abilities. Naturally, in my own heart, I want to say that I can protect myself. My heart says that I can be kind and compassionate and gracious and patient and loving all by myself. It's an attitude in all of us, isn't it? I don't need you, God. I can save myself. Where does this psalm teach us to go for our help? It teaches us to go to the Lord our God, the maker of heaven and earth. And that will be a struggle for many of us, all of us maybe, naturally as humans, but also as people living 
in the West, in our individualistic culture. We want to do things for ourselves, by ourselves. And so admitting that we're helpless, that's not something that comes naturally. We're not able to help ourselves. And coming to that confession is the place we need to start in praying this psalm. Even in the midst of the suffering and the pain of this life, the psalmist invites us to join him in looking to the God who is the maker of heaven and earth, who will watch over your life now and forevermore. The psalm assures us that we do not walk alone through the trials of life, and we've got the example of those in the pages of the Bible for whom this was their hope whilst enduring such difficult circumstances. The author, John Ortberg, reminds us that Scripture alternates between hair-raising risks and assurances of impregnable security. And when we look at the lives of the great followers of God, we see this combination of breathtaking risks with an almost brazen confidence in being, of being safe in God's hands. See, Moses defied Pharaoh. Israel occupied the promised lands. David challenged Goliath. A poor band of disciples followed Jesus. Paul sat in a Roman prison. All of these people, confident that God was walking with them. The watching, the guarding, promise-keeping creator God walks so close by you, he can stop your feet from slipping. Even though we might not see him at work right now. Let us keep putting our trust in him and choosing to walk in faith with him and we will see his faithfulness. We have a God who is able to help. A God who has helped us, who has provided the ultimate rescue when we were in most need of help. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to be crucified on a Roman cross to die to bear the weight of the punishment due to us for our sin. He took it all, bore the wrath of God so that we would be redeemed, we could be set free, so that ultimately the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now in this life, yes, even though it's hard, but in the next life, for all eternity, my brothers and sisters, that is where we will share in the joy of our keeping God forever. If you aren't following Jesus here this evening and you're still thinking about these things, then do, do get in touch and we'd, we'd love to chat about it. But I know, know this this evening. There is a God, there is God who loves you. There's a God who cherishes you as his child and wants to be in relationship with you this evening. You just need to call out, confessing your helplessness. Acknowledging Jesus to be Lord of your life. Maybe this challenges you this evening to think about where you are at with God this evening. The words of the blessing in Numbers 6 ring clearly here, don't they, in this psalm. May the Lord bless you and keep you. If you've accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he will be with you. He will keep you. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will be with you. 
walking with you, watching over your life. So rejoice in that. May the Lord be Psalm 121 to you this evening. But finally, this evening, this psalm it calls us to response. We can't sit here this evening and say that, well, this just doesn't apply to me. There's an invitation being extended here by the psalmist for us to engage with what is being said here in Psalm 121. What would it mean to accept that invitation this evening? Well, it means that we follow the pattern of this psalm. We confess our helplessness. We affirm where our help comes from. And we preach the promises of God to our soul. Use this psalm to help you. That's what it was intended for. Pray it every day this week. I challenge you. Memorize it if you can. Sing it if you are musical. Write it out in calligraphy if you're arty. Slap it on a post-it note on your kettle that says, my help comes from the Lord. And every time you see it, pray that God would be your help and not yourself. There's a great song by a band called Casting Crowns called Praise You in the Storm. And we're going to play it at the end of our service. But the bridge is verses 1 and 2. So maybe memorize it that way. Will you accept this invitation this evening? To memorize, to pray God's word into our hearts, to preach it to our souls. Let us immerse ourselves in God's words, in this psalm, recognizing that we need God's help, that naturally we want to help ourselves. Letting the Holy Spirit be at work in us, taking out all the prides, and selfishness of our hearts, making us more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, maker of heaven and earth, we praise you this evening. We praise you for watching over us, for keeping us in your love. Lord God, we worship you this evening. We worship you that you never leave us. You are always walking with us. Lord, please forgive us when we try and get through life without you, when we rely on ourselves and our own abilities. Lord, dissolve our pride, we pray. Humble us. Show us areas of our life that we need to surrender to you, Lord God. Nothing is too big or too broken for you, Lord. We need you. And Father, I pray this evening that you'd be at work in each of our hearts for your glory and for your name's sake. Amen.